you've got to have a mindset of knowing what you want to get out of life. And it's not necessarily making the sacrifices, but it's making the right decisions to put you in that position so you you can be successful long-term, not necessarily short-term. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, great to have listeners. If you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to speak to Dave Cadre from Greenleaf. He's getting one of those guests where he has done a lot of different things, single family, apartment buildings, triple leases, warehouses. We thought that we'll bring Dave on here so he can share his perspective of what's happening in the market and why did he transition out of one asset to the other asset. Before we go deeper, just because Dave has a thesis doesn't mean it needs to be your thesis. So I want to make sure that we put a caveat there and he and I are not going to recommend anything for you because everyone's personal situation is different and we need to make sure that the asset class you choose, it actually helps you achieve your goal. So use this as trigger point, use this as education, but don't look at this as a personal advice. And if you need personal advice, you can always get in touch with myself, Dave, or other guests that we have on the show to figure out if they have a perspective on what your thesis is. Without further ado, Dave, good afternoon or good morning. How are you? I'm doing great today. Excited to have a conversation here and a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for making the time. And it's always interesting. I tell the best part of my, I tell my family and my kids and my wife as well that the best part of my job is to do the podcast because I get to immerse myself with somebody for 20, 30, 40 minutes. And it's a very selfish motive that I get inspired by talking to other people, which is perfectly. And hopefully the audience is extracting a whole lot of value as much as I am with all of my guests. So thank you again for taking the time. I know everyone's busy. Then before we go deeper into your story and your background and your experience, I would like to understand, ask you a question about when you hear the term migrate to wealth, which is the name of our show, what does that mean to you? I think that's more of a mindset. You've got to have a mindset of knowing what you want to get out of life. And it's not necessarily making the sacrifices, but it's making the right decisions to put you in that position so you can be successful long-term. Not necessarily short-term. Most of the time you make changes in your life or you decide on a direction you want to go. It's typically a little more painful in the very beginning until you get there. And I can tell the show is fitting. There's no migration to anything that happens quickly. Animals that migrate, they're going like tens of thousands of miles. Like they're traveling through continents. You've got a butterfly flying from Canada to Mexico. That's seemingly impossible, but it's not. They make the right decisions every day and keep moving forwards. Yeah, I think it's just the daily progression will help you migrate. 
towards what you want to do as long as the daily actions you're taking are in the right direction. And I think the whole intentionality behind this show was to help people develop a direction because they already know what they want to achieve, what they want to migrate to. Most people have a sense, not articulated well, but at least they have a sense. And what we wanted to do with this show was, can we help people progress, make daily progressions so they're moving an inch closer, foot closer, meter closer, whatever that dimension you want to have. They're getting closer to that. Your butterfly migrate. I love that example, moving from Canada to Mexico. She's got to fly. The butterfly's got to fly in the right direction for that to happen. If that yeah. flight is not in the right direction, no matter how much effort butterfly is going to put in, it's not going to migrate to the location it's to. We have a disadvantage as human beings. We don't have an instinct that drives us to fly in the right direction. So we have the freedom of choices, which could also serve as a curse for some people. So we need to make sure that we're using those choice in the right direction to help carve a path, that we're marrying our instinct with our discernibility to make sure we're heading the right direction. Dave, what are your thoughts on that? Human nature, you're distracted by whatever that shiny object is. There's no books out there or strategies that say how to get rich slowly with making lots of sacrifices and working. It's not going to sell. I'm not going to sell any copies. But I think the reality is, and it could really be anything, any form of investment you decide, you've got to stick with your strategy. You've got to put in the hard work that's required to see it through and make those little daily sacrifices, whether that's getting up 30 minutes earlier every day, which no one's like super excited to do. Yeah. Carving out 30 minutes to read every day, carving out 30 minutes to work out every day. If you don't do those things, it's not going to work. But so many times it's hard to actually commit to doing those on a daily, weekly, you look at an annual basis and it's six minute abs. You remember that, those old videos? The machine that keeps doing this to you, right? Now, like, funny, this is a marine machine that's going to compress your abs in six minutes, you got a six pack. Wow. I wish it was true. It's not going to work. No, it's, it's not going to work. I think the, the only difference is that it's going to make you feel like you're doing some action. It's going to make you feel busy. And I think that the difference between busy and progression is that you're going back to the example of the butterfly, that you're busy in the right direction and you're putting your efforts in the right direction and you're compressing the time frames, the mistakes that Dave have made, the, made, the mistakes that I have made. If we could just tell it to you, hey, you know, the approach that you're thinking, it may get you here or it may get you there. You choose which direction is the right thing. But knowing our understanding, because we've been doing it for a while, doesn't mean we're smarter. We just have made, we just had made more mistakes than a lot of people. So through our mistakes, you can learn better and hopefully not make those mistakes. You make new mistakes. That's perfectly fine. But don't repeat the same mistakes, right? Yeah. Perfect. Dave, so yeah. tell me more about your journey, your migration story for the well. When you started this journey, this migration journey, what was your definition of wealth? And let's figure out your journey and then let's paint a picture of what does wealth mean to you today? But I want to start with what wealth meant to you before. I think a lot of people too, you get into real estate investing or any investing and you're like, you have that initial goal that you're going to say, this is what it is. And for me, my, my initial goal was to simply create enough passive income to replicate how much I was currently earning at my job. And I was in my early 20s, so wasn't earning that much. Yeah. And I didn't really have any that much expenses. So I needed to get very far to make that happen. But my definition of wealth was to have my income replaced with a passive form of income. And I saw real estate as the easiest option to execute that goal. And I wanted to get there by the time I was 30. So it wasn't like I was, this needs to happen next month. But through that process, building passive income in real estate quickly turned into, it's not essentially passive for me, at least. For most people, it's not. Endeavor. Yeah. So going get into and that has morphed 
Yeah. That, that's morphed into where I'm at today and run an organization, about 60 people right now. And we're in seven different states and we're on a bunch of different asset classes. And I was always trying to find like what that next problem that we can identify and say, hey, our team can solve that problem. I know I starting out could solve a problem around renovating a single family home. I can do that. I was excited to do it. I knew I could solve that problem. So I went out and found those problems and solved them and just kept doing that. And, and now my journey is taking me. I live in Atlanta, Georgia now. I moved down here from, I grew up in Pennsylvania and my journey has brought me to Atlanta. It's been a great city to grow a business in and raise a family. Yeah, we've got lots of interesting real estate problems we can help solve down here. So yeah, I can imagine them. And so let, let, let's go deeper into Dave. Where exactly? Well, it seems like you started with single families. Are you starting rehabbing them? Are you starting fixing them and and selling them and flipping them? Variety of those things. And I know you then transitioned into apartments as well. Tell us what are you doing right now? Is that still the focus? I know you have to. So yeah, we've now. I still own a good number of apartments, mainly in the Georgia area and some in Chattanooga and up towards Charlotte areas that, that we still own a, a good amount of apartments, but there's not a lot of problems left to solve in the multifamily space. Much of the you know class B or C or renovation opportunities have been done. And so there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity there to keep that ship going. So we moved into the commercial space and this started about four or five years ago where you know, we took a couple different investment approaches. One was buying short-term retail leases. So leases on a building where there was only maybe a year left. And that's a tricky spot. Your lender is wondering, hey, what's going to happen? Are they going to renew this lease? Yeah. We only got one tenant. What does the operator think? And, and we made some strategic operator relationships and we were able to buy assets and then sign longer-term leases in that space. So we got things that in the retail world, shorter timeframes are going to trade at higher cap rate. When you sign a longer lease, you normally see some cap rate compression. So we were able to transition to some deals that produced very good cash flow returns for us. We were able to solve that problem. That problem was a structural paper problem, not a physical asset right. problem. And But the physical asset problems are the ones that are the most exciting. So we right now, our goal is we're trying to buy as much more suburban office space as possible. We're, we're trying to buy vacant assets, which... 2010-11, there were a lot of vacant, blown out apartment buildings that you could buy and renovate and turn around and create value. And we see that same thing happening right now in office. And there's plenty of different uses that some of these buildings can be turned into. So we're going after that right now. We've got a couple hundred thousand square feet of that stuff that we have finished already converting and leased. Most of that is in the flex or warehouse type assets we've converted them to. And that's working that's working really well. And we're excited to keep identifying those and solving those problems. No, I, I love that. So give us a little bit more insight into what are those problems that you're trying to solve right now? Because I'll give you I'll give you a perspective of a common person who is not understanding these asset classes. Yeah. That people are not coming back to work. The offices build office buildings are gonna stay vacant. Nothing's really is gonna change. People are trying to convert offices into condos. That's super expensive. It's not going to happen. There's a lot of chatter and noise that's happening. Most there's from the people that actually don't, who don't understand the asset at all. So having you on the show is actually great. Help me understand why commercial excites you so much. Why empty buildings excite you so much? And what are you doing with them? Yeah. You know, I think me personally, like 
the excitement of seeing a before and after photo, and it can really be in anything, right? You could see like a before and after photo of someone's backyard. They do a time lapse and they renovate the whole thing, put in a new garden. I think that stuff is really cool and I like doing yeah. it. So my personal interest, I love that before and after photo. It's like the one of the highlights that I get to do in my you know job every day. Correct. So I like that part. But the vacant building, you know, there, there's a couple different situations that are happening. You have very urban high-rise buildings that are one type of construction. And then you have the mid-rise, larger floor plate, four or five-story buildings. And then you have single-story office construction. And these were normally built in different timeframes. So most of the single-story stuff is what I'm buying. I'm not buying multi-story towers. I'm not buying five, six-story large floor plates. That stuff, uh, they had their own problems and I don't necessarily have a solution for those. But the single-story office, we have found some good uses and some good solutions for when the asset fits right. So typically, it's a more suburban location, but on a big main road. Atlanta, Georgia has a lot of suburban locations that pack. Yes, it's not downtown, but it is a very busy area. And there are a lot of single-story buildings built in the 80s, early 90s. And we joke around a lot about the movie, The Office Space, which we yeah. love at our company. And it, the firm it attacked in that, organ, in that movie, it's like this giant 100,000 square foot single-story office. And you're like, to go with it. And we buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we, we've got a building we just bought. It. We've got an endless amount of cubes. Essentially have no value. So unless... She want me to bring you some cubes. We don't know what to do with them. So they end up in the dumpster, yeah. but we're able to take that space and the bones of the building are good, but it's brick exterior construction. It's got large spans because you have these big office floor plates and we're able to put in roll up doors and convert these spaces to uh, a usable format for right now for where there's also demand. So, so what, that's what we're looking at right now. Or, so let me try to synthesize that and tell me if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah. What we're saying is that you're taking these single-story assets, office buildings, that used to be office building that had your, your traditional cubes. And for those of us who are old enough, yep. this is not for our millennials, at some point, everyone in the office had a cube, their cube, and a cube by definition is a three-dimensional cube where you're sitting inside of a cube and you had walls around it so that you have your privacy. Nowadays, it's all open desk. That is just literally a single table and you're facing each other in an environment which is better, which is worse, that's debatable. I'm not going to go into that debate. But that's exactly the kind of office that Dave is talking about. And I've worked in that office. I know exactly what that feels. So you're taking those, you're ripping apart the cubes, and then do whatever you need to do with that. But what you're doing is you're repurposing the space for something that's more usable with a roll-up door. You say the roll-up door, assuming you're turning them into warehouses. Is that a correct assumption there? Correct. Yeah, it's correct. And it's, there's been a lot of new warehouse construction lately and distribution centers. Anyone drives in any city and you're like, oh, Amazon just opened a million square foot distribution center. It is not that stuff. That's a whole different category. That's like a multi-story tower from what we're doing. But you look at around, a lot of businesses need five, 10,000 square feet. They can drive a truck into, they can operate out of so Dave why are they, sure. let's talk about the help me understand the macro help, help me understand economics and supply demand of that right 
So if I'm a business, chances are I already have a warehouse uh, somewhere. If I'm already an existing business. And then here comes Dave and says that, hey, Mr. Owner or Mrs. Owner or Miss Owner, you have this new warehouse that we have put together for you. Do you want to shift your warehouse from the existing warehouse to this warehouse? I see that as a very sticky warehouse, as a very sticky business. Once you have a warehouse, you have a warehouse. And you don't necessarily want to move it around because um, everything is set for you. It's working, correct? So when you go into that right. supply demand, when you try to look at the supply demand economics, how do you come to terms with that? And how do you convince a new buyer saying that, new renter saying, hey, our space is better or our space is convenient or what is the value at? Does the question make sense, Dave? Yeah, no. Oh, for the most part, it's size. So we have a large open floor plan. We can divide it up in whatever size makes sense to us at the time. A lot of stuff when it was purpose-built for warehouse was either built as a million square feet, which you cannot divide into a 10,000 square foot chunk. The building dimensions just don't work. Or you have some flex that has been built over time and it's a, there's a lot of metal flex kind of yards that have been built where you have set suites of 2,500 or 5,000 square feet. If your business grows and you want to have any anything expanding beyond that footprint, got it. you're going to be hard-pressed to find anywhere else that you can go to. And most likely your neighboring space is already occupied, so you can't just expand next to you. It's if you had a one-bedroom apartment and you had two kids, you're like, wait a minute, can I just take the apartment next to me? It's probably not. Probably. You got to go find a two-bedroom apartment or a three-bedroom apartment. Correct. And you're going to have to move. And now businesses over the past couple of years have been growing. The, the small business segment has been doing well. And there's lots of distribution or local service businesses that need a place to be. And it has to be close to their customer. So everything we buy is, it is surrounded by residential. And you're not going to be tearing down houses to build a new flex warehouse storage. So you're really limited on physical real estate and the population density around the areas we're investing in continues to grow. So. Got it. So it's really, and, and I know you were saying you're getting the buildings that were built in 1980s, 1990s, if I heard you correctly. Correct. Let, let's, yeah. let's talk about the newer cities. Raleigh area is growing right now. A lot of new construction is happening there. Would the same model work in something like that? Or it has to be in a place where the density, the population density is already above a certain limit. So there's already old the old infrastructure that you want to take and renovate. How does that work? Where do you, how do you evaluate that? Yes. Recent cities that have had a lot of growth, this model doesn't necessarily work in because they do not have the 1980s built suburban office building to renovate. In the 1980s, it was a field outside of Raleigh. There wasn't anything there. Whereas Atlanta, was, it was built out. Right. It was suburban and there was a suburban growth. I was in Nashville last week and they didn't, they don't have this type of asset or product doesn't really exist there in a higher quantity yeah. where you can have a game plan to go after it. So it's city specific and it's really only in the larger metro areas. Got it. You're larger and more developed already, correct? Not, not something that's seeing the population explosion now, but having said that, you're not going to put it in Detroit either. You may not want to put it in Detroit either where there's uh, people leaving the cities. Right, something like that. Yeah, we still probably we still have to have population growth. Correct. So you've got to have an area that had previous growth and now has population growth still in that area over a something like a thirty year period. So it's a so, long. 
Dave, help me understand. It doesn't work everywhere, but it is one use case. Perfect. Perfect. So Dave, help me understand one thing. If you're okay to the extent you're comfortable with that, can you share your criteria that you use to buy it? It has to be a certain square footage. It has to have this much population. This has to grow the age. Is there a list of criteria when you're looking at these asset classes? Because the world is pretty big. If you start looking at every single deal, there's not enough time in the world. So I'm assuming at this point you've owned your criteria. Are you comfortable sharing that uh, criteria with us? Uh, certainly. And, and necessarily think it's anything super innovative, but we've stuck to it. And I think when you're looking at your investment strategy, knowing what you're comfortable with, and in, in our case, I decided I'm comfortable with these criteria and we're going to go with this long-term yeah. and, and having a long-term vision. Our, our goal is to buy assets that have a problem and we can turn them around and create cash flow. And it's going to take time and we plan to hold them for the longer term. So my criteria match towards my investment strategy, but right off the bat, I want to see 10-year population growth consistently every year for 10 years. So there's got to so be- Past or, fu- past or future? Past past and the, the future outlook going up as well. That That's really a big driver of, I want to be in the way of growth and where things are. So that's important to me. The other part that comes into that is the access to the location. There's got to be good access on how you're going to get in there for the, whatever the use that is intended. If anyone's done a deal where the parking ratios are off or the turns crappy getting into it, it's just, you feel that in your stomach. You're like, why is this annoying to be here? Yeah. We don't want that. So we don't want it to be annoying. So it's not like a super advanced criteria. And then the next part is the, the construction. So it's got to be an asset that that I'm comfortable with. And it's got to be an asset that, that I know my team can perform the work on. So okay. single story buildings are a lot easier to work on than a 30 story tire. And I don't think that's rocket science to figure that out. Definitely. So Definitely. we want to see, yeah, we, we want to see big pieces of land. Even the apartments that we've bought over the years, everything else we've done, medical, warehouse, retail, we're looking to make sure we have ample parking in a larger piece of land that's, that doesn't have crazy easements. It has good egress, ingress into the spot. So we want to see that. And right now in office, we got to make sure we have clear heights that are sufficient. We got to make sure we have window construction where we can put in roll-up doors. You know, we're converting old windows, taking them out and putting in roll-up doors. So there's a lot of those like like more detailed criteria that have to happen, but those top three, population growth, location, and construction, those have all got to check the boxes for us to- uh, Before you want to look deeper into the deal. Yeah. yeah. And is there a growing trend of this conversion happening? Because I think I, I spoke to somebody recently, I can't remember the name, Hamid. He used to be in apartment complexes and then he sold his entire portfolio to some investor in Saudi or whatever. I can't remember the exact details. And then he's into flex space as well. Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he'll come. Yeah. So it seems like this. Sorry, what was that? Yeah. I, there's a lot of people looking at the space and, and involved in the investment cycle, but it's also, it's a little, it's different than multifamily. Multifamily, there's a shortage of housing pretty much everywhere you look Correct. in America. Costs are high, availability is low. So you still have a lot of, positive factors driving that market. And, and I think everyone can relate to having a home or apartment or a mm-hmm. place that they're going to. That's that's a life goal of almost anyone, right? Okay, I want to have a, a safe, secure place that I can go rest my head at night. So 
I think that investment thesis makes a lot of sense, right? And I think it's naturally comfortable. Not everyone's going to say, yeah, I definitely need 10,000 square feet with a conference room and in a roll-up door to park my head at 350. Exactly. So there's a smaller subset of people that are looking for that and getting excited about like how that's going to play out. Boom. Okay. And then do you see this, do you see any evolution in flex spaces or the needs have changed, the technology has changed something? How do you draw revenue out of uh, flex space beyond just leasing and renting it? Is there other, are there other sources of revenue, just like in an apartment complex, not just lease, there are other income sources as well they need to start factoring into, they add up. I was wondering in the flex space, are there things like that you can add? Not really. It's, there's some, you could put in like a, an electric, sometimes the electric car places will pay you some money if you put an electric charging station there, or you can add some right. solar panels on the roof. Most of it's around energy efficiency, both for the rent of space to a flex user. And they're not, they don't want not their there. team coming in there and look. They're not there. Yeah, they, it's just a storage area for them. Oh, yeah, there's in and out, but the daily maintenance of that space they are the ones that are controlling it and uh, it. you're not necessarily there on a daily basis to go solve problems for them once they take that space. So there's not a lot of upcharge, whether it's utilities or fees or got it. pet amenities or any of that. Yeah. Stuff. It's not really built into that. That, that doesn't really exist. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Dave, th- this is great actually, man. I really enjoyed uh, learning more about the like, spaces and all because it's time not, I think sometimes you just get so heads down into one space. And then that space is the only space you want to understand. But there's so much, there's so many other ways to start investing and diversifying, right? And while, while to your point, while multifamily has a great outlook and is always going to be an asset of choice for now, at least, because we don't see the housing shortage uh, improving anytime soon. They're just not building enough. So that problem is always going to be there. But there are other asset classes also that you can marry and combine with that portfolio to create a little bit more diversity and making sure if something, if another pandemic hits, you're you're covered on you're hedging some of the bets, right? Hopefully that never hits. Yeah. So Dave, help. We're coming to the end of our interview here. Question I have for you is two questions I'm going to ask, as we have, which we always ask at the end of the interview. One question is that looking back in time, actually, let me ask the question differently. What would your twenty-year-old self tell you today? To you about their, his assumption for how this business is going to work out and what would you tell it to them? Yeah, when I was, when I was younger, I was, uh, and even still now, like my investment thesis is long-term fixed rate debt, uh, uh, conservative leverage. Don't get too far out of your skis, but there are a lot of deals in like that, the middle of the teens, 2000 to 2016, where it's like pretty much anything you bought worked. At that point in time, if I had a hot tub time machine and I could go back until that's what you would do, right? Yeah. And all this stuff. Yeah. That's what I would have done. But yeah, just going back, some of these things are hard. It's hard to go through a kind of a marathon of work, right? Cool. Now it's, I'm a long-term investor. So it's like, you just got to stay the course and keep going. Perfect. Perfect. That makes sense, Dave. Dave, another question is that where do you believe humanity as a whole should migrate towards the next few decades? I, I think the next few decades as uh, technology, I, I think technology will have a monumental impact on our world going forwards on how we do everything. And it's already done that in the past. You could look at mechanized farming where yeah. you know, almost nobody is a farmer now in America because 
the machinery that we have is so productive that they can produce so much with so few people farming compared to what it was in 1900, right? Those jobs are, have all disappeared and it's all mechanized right now. I think situations like that are going to advance so rapidly that you're going to have to be on the forefront of that to make sure that I think they're going to be good. I think they benefit a lot of people, everything from self-driving to chat GBT to where right. you know, Starlink has internet absolutely everywhere now. And, and it makes, maybe that makes cable lines obsolete. You look at a lot of use cases of where things are going. So I think if you look at like, where should society migrate to, or where should, where I'm looking at that for myself, people I talk to, I think it, it's migrate to a more open mindset yeah. of, of being open to new ideas and being open to things you might not understand and might not be comfortable with, but be open clear where it goes. That makes sense. That makes sense, Dave. Dave, last question, buddy. If people were to f- look for you and find you, try to find you, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, our, my website, greenleafmanagement.com or uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And that's really, I've got all my contact information and phone number up there. So reach out to me if you have any questions or if you're interested in office from the 80s, pumped about that right now. So I can see that, Len. I can see that. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time and speaking with me and my audience sharing your insights. Really appreciate that. Good luck with all your projects. You have intrigued me about the flex space. I'm definitely going to start looking into that and see what's happening. I'm in Raleigh, so unfortunately there's not a whole lot, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that doesn't exist outside of places right. where we live. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Take care, buddy. My great to listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes, One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.